Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast, hosted by Brian Bisking. Brian started this weekly podcast to give a voice to leaders of our community, to share their story, their journey, and the lessons that they have learned along the way. Brian grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis, where he watched his father run a small business and was always interested in how the leaders in his community got where they are. Whether it's a local business leader, a philanthropist, or a celebrity, these are your STL Leaders. Join us today, where we will chat with another pillar of our community on this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. And now, your host, Brian Bisking. Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bisking. On this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast, we have John Lanius. But before we get to this week's episode, I'd like to thank my four great sponsors. First, NWO IT Services, Synchrony HR, Inbound Blend Digital Marketing, and Enterprise Bank and Trust. On this week's episode, we have John Lanius. John is the president of Bitsu Media here in St. Louis and the author of The Life and Times of Missouri's Charles Parsons Between Art and War. John has a long background ranging from radio to tactical training with government contracts to now running Vitsu Media. John is a firm believer in the power of relationships, networking, and giving back to the community of St. Louis. John is on the board for several nonprofits here in St. Louis and gives back to the community in many ways. We will discuss all of this with him today. It is now my great honor to welcome John Launius to the show. John Launius, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. I greatly appreciate it. Welcome. A pleasure to be here. Thanks so much, Brian. Absolutely. I uh, I always kind of start this show by giving them, uh, my listeners a little background, but you and I met, uh, gee, many Christmas, man. I, I feel like it was five, six, maybe seven years ago at a networking event uh, called Tip Club. Yep. Uh, and we just kind of kicked it off and we've stayed in touch and grabbed lunch once or twice a year since then. And I've always, uh, enjoyed being around you and you just got some amazing background to share. And I'm excited to kind of share that with our listeners uh, today. Well, Brian, thank you so much. And I, I love what you're doing because there are so many great leaders in St. Louis uh, that, you know, I think your platform is going to give a, a great uh, space for people to share what they're doing and working on. Yeah, well, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, pre-COVID, uh, you and I had lunch downtown. Uh, you had just moved in. Vitsu had just moved into their new space, and we had lunch, and I kind of was tossing out the idea at that point. Uh, and me and you kind of even talked about uh, me doing something like this. And at that point, I wasn't sure if I was going to do quick videos with leaders in our community or kind of what I was going to do. And then I, you know, I, I settled on doing a podcast. But uh, kind of you were the inspiration, some of the inspiration behind this. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, here, you know, here's what I love about podcasting versus video. And obviously, I love video because of Vidzu Media. But what's great about the podcasting is that as a guy who started in radio in 1993, you know, we can listen to these things really wherever we want. And, you know, for me, I drive into, into downtown St. Louis every day. It takes an hour in and an hour back. And so, you know, I'm listening to your great guests and you're doing a fantastic job. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. You you touched there a little bit about radio, so let's dive in. Talk to me about growing up, where you grew up. Your your background is extremely fascinating to me, and so 
Uh, let's tell our guest a little bit about your background and then we'll dive into Vitsu here in a minute. Sure. Okay. Well, my parents divorced when I was five and uh, I was primarily raised by my mother and taught early on by her to ensure the care of my brother, who's a person with a mental disability. And the reason why that I share that is because I, you know, my brother has made me a better person and um, I'm just so fortunate and thankful for him and the experiences that he's given me that have given me a really a, 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 a compassionate outlook, I think, on everything, and I think has, has made me uh, a better leader in every area where I focus. Um, in my kind of uh, early teens, uh, I, I obviously grew up in the suburbs of, of St. Louis, but what's interesting is I would spend my weekends in the city with my childhood friend, Joe Moskis, who would eventually become my radio partner when we joined the original staff of 105.7 The Point in the spring of 1993. And uh, if I look at, you know, really my my influences when I was growing up is that I would say my biggest influences uh, in my development was, of course, my mother, my grandfather uh, from a from a from a philosophical and spiritual perspective. And then my father, who provided me valuable experiences like flying lessons. Um, he's passed on now. But one of my favorite quotes from him uh, when I was about 14, he said, you're going to learn how to fly an airplane before you drive, because if you die before you're 16, I'll have nothing to worry about going forward. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so and so learning to fly at a young age really taught me lessons that continue to deliver valuable dividends today. Yeah. Well, I, that, yeah, no, I, I think that's pretty neat. Pretty, pretty cool little story there. So radio, I knew about that, but share our guest. How, how was that experience like? Well, you know, I, if I kind of look at the evolution of, of my career path uh, from 1993 to 2001, I worked in radio at 105.7 The Point, And then toward the end of that, I was also at 97.1 FM The Talk. Um, when I was not in radio, uh, I owned an importing and exporting and retail business called the old, uh, called the Old Kyoto Incense Company, and I, I also worked as a media consultant. And so, um, you know, kind of leading up to some of the more interesting background you've alluded at before is that around uh, the mid 1990s, I had ownership uh, in a defensive tactics company that taught military, government, police, and private groups differing levels of what is known as the as a use of force policy. Um, and so the work of defensive tactics and contracts with the U.S. Air Force and personnel from numerous intelligence agencies would set the stage for my new chapter after 9-11. And, you know, you, know, you and I have ch chatted about this before, but uh, after 9-11, I was recruited by the Boeing training team initially to serve as a counterterrorism uh, expert um, around our nation's airports. I would then move on to positions with the Lockheed Martin training team and also SRA International, which is now known as CSRA. Um, I served in a number of counterterrorism uh, roles and, and contracts supporting numerous government agencies. So, um, you know, and, 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 and we're not even at Bizu yet, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so there was a stop just before that. Um, so after an extraordinary journey of five years working with some of the most, I say, incredible people I've ever met, um, including uh, the main former DEA agent who broke the French connection uh, when he was in Marseille, France, uh, you know, this agent was a great mentor to me. And, and if you're unfamiliar with the story, uh, you can seek out the movie The French Connection, uh, the 1971 movie starring Gene Hackman. So uh, in 2006, uh, I processed out of the role that I was in. Uh, I moved on to Washington University 
University in St. Louis, assuming a security role and also operated as a director of operations and training at the Mildred Lane Kemper Art Museum. And then in 2014, <laughs> you went to Vitsu. Yeah, so, you know, uh, you know Vidzu has been an, an incredible journey. Uh, Vidzu Media, V-I-D-Z-U, for those of you playing along at home, um, you know, uh, Vidzu Media is really an incredible production company, and, and, and it's part of the Nitrous Effect Collective. Uh, you know, you had Bo Matthews on a couple of weeks ago from KMOX, yep. and uh, and I was on his show yesterday at KMOX, and he asked me in, in that great voice he has, and I and I wish I had that voice, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's like, John, John, tell me about, tell me about uh, Vidzu, like, like, you know, what does it mean? And so, you know, for those who don't know, the V stands for velocity, vid stands for video, and zoo is a Japanese word that can be used to describe telling a story through pictures. So what we do for our clients around the globe is that with velocity, we tell amazing stories through pictures, and you can see our work at vidzu.com. Yeah, so, but you started at Vitsu as an intern, right? Now you're president of the organization. Yeah, that's correct. So after my time at Washington University, I, I went back to government contracting for a short time and also media consulting again. And then I also went back to school at, at Webster University. And so to complete my program, I needed an internship credit. And I had already worked with CPG, which is the founding and oldest company of the Nitrous Effect, which 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 Vidzu Media is now a part of. And, right. and I was working I was working as an on-camera talent, and I was introduced to the small team at Vidzu Media, and I quite literally became their intern. And so during my internship, I created the infrastructure for Vidzu's ability to government contract, and I did this all under three months. So I was then offered a job, and then I went from intern to president of the company in, in five years. And just a side note about the nitrous effect, you know, I can't say enough wonderful things about the leadership of CPG, and that includes Sharon Roos, Steve Friedman, uh, Liz Mernon, Andy Deutschman, and Keith Alper, who's the CEO and chairman of CPG, as well as the Nitrous Effect. And then some of the other companies that make up the Nitrous Effect, you've got Upper End Collaborative, which is uh, led by Jeff Insko. You've got Aventive, which is led by Sam Foxman. You've got Red Peg, which is led by Brad Nirenberg and John Peaster. And then of course, GenieCast, who is our newest company, and that's led by Jeremy Pink. So those are the companies that make up the Nitrous Effect that Vision Media is a part of. And uh, you know, our collective collaboration creates amazing experiences for our clients around the globe yeah no i've seen you guys work you guys do some amazing work and i think it's pretty neat story though that you go from an intern to president of the company in a short five years i think that uh i think it's a testament to who you are your leadership and you know you're just a quality person you're just you have a good heart and i think that really shines through and why you you know why they chose you as really the president and the leader of vitsu i think that's uh that's a pretty neat story because not everybody starts as an intern and then in five years is the president of the organization well, I, I appreciate that. And and honestly, I, I have to tip my hat, though, to Keith Alper and, and other members of, of ownership that, you know, have recognized that. Because I think one of the secrets to business at the end of the day is being able to find talent, but also develop talent and recognize uh, not only what you've done, but what you're doing and what you will do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, obviously at Synchrony HR, where I work, we talk about, you know, talent, recruiting talent, retaining talent, developing talent all day long. Um, and, you know, it goes back to saying of, you know, you got to get the right people on the bus, but then you got to make sure those people in the right seats in the bus that, to make really that whole flywheel work. 
Um, and that's so that's a very good point. And, and that is one of, I think, probably the biggest one of the biggest challenges a leader or a president of an organization has is recruiting that talent, retaining that talent, developing that talent um, and, and making the organization you know, kind of work seamlessly. Absolutely. Completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of leadership, obviously 2020 was an extremely challenging year for a lot of small businesses, including including ours. I'm, I'm assuming uh, yours may be the same in, in a variety of different ways. But how did you lead Vitsu during a time that was so volatile and there's so many unknowns um, uh, with COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, to be transparent, I mean, 2020 was a tough year. And you know, as tough as it was, I'm actually very grateful because it, it made me a, a better leader and also gave us an opportunity to practice some of the philosophical conversations that had been developing or in play in the years before. So, you know, to kind of go into that a little bit deeper, I expect everybody around me to operate with full integrity and accountability, you know, essentially be a leader in all that they do. My entire staff may not be in management of the company, but they are leaders representing their particular purview and they're incredible people. You know, since my late teens, I've enjoyed studying all types of leadership. And Brian, if you were to ask me my primary interpretation, it would have to be summed up in the Japanese expression, mizu no kokoro, which means mind like water. Because, you know, water takes on many forms from hurricanes to heavy rain. But when it is most at peace, it is content with the low places that people disdain and yet nourishes all things. This, this for me is really the best kind of leadership. It allows others to drink and grow as they're intended. Yeah, absolutely. So did Vitsu, um, did you guys weather the storm all right during, you know, last year? I mean, we're not out of it yet, but I think I think you would, I, at least I would say, I, I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm seeing, you know, restaurants opening back up, small businesses getting getting um, getting their feet back on the ground. And I'm hopeful that in the next three to four to five months with the vaccines coming out, people getting the vaccines, that by midsummer we're going to be back to a lot. Well, I'm not going to say normal, but we're going to be we're going to be closer than we were, uh, obviously, in June of last year. Yeah, I mean, you know, to to speak specifically, I mean, we had we had a decent year and I think a lot of that is from the trust of our clients and the fact that we pivoted, you know, yeah. we we all you know across the nitrous effect, not just Vidzu, but our powerful collaboration of solutions for our clients allowed us to shift and pivot very quickly to allow virtual, you know, celebrations. Uh, I mean, you, you you may have seen our Rise Up for Heroes program that was on NBC, uh, as well as uh, PBS. I mean, it, it had a whole list of, you know, St. Louis connected stars like John Hamm and um, Ellie Kemper. And I mean, I, I could keep naming all that. But, you know, we as the nitrous effect, you know, made a collective effort to say, you know, we're going to we're going to highlight and show the amazing impact that our healthcare workers made uh, to, to our community and, and, and are still making. And yeah. 100 years, uh, you know, 100 years from now, when people look back at 2020, that's one of the pieces of content that I say is going to live beyond this time now. And they're going to see, you know, how we came together on, on many levels. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with that. I think um, there's been a lot of um, a lot of heroes uh, in this during this challenging time. Everything from 
even the people that you probably don't even think about, but the the lady who is working the counter at the Schnucks here in St. Louis, who's checking out to give you your groceries, um, all the way to yeah, the nurses at the hospital, to the police officers out uh, protecting our cities, to the firefighters, to the the medical and ambulance workers. I mean, there's so many heroes um, that have that have really you know come together uh, during 2021 for the betterment of our country, um, and so I think that's pretty neat that you guys did that. Well, thank you very much. And I, again, I complete, complete, I, I agree completely with you. And now for a quick break, we bring in our sponsor, Enterprise Bank and Trust member FDIC. Enterprise Bank and Trust knows that every business and every person is unique. That's why they get to know you in a way that the large financial institutions don't. They are our banking partner here at the STL Leaders Podcast, and I highly recommend that you check them out. To learn more, visit enterprisebank.com. And now back to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. So let's dive into something that I found very interesting about you. I, I know that you kind of have a, a history background. You love history. I can tell that. You like Japanese history, too. I know that. <laughs> but you decided to write a book. Uh, and so tell us about the book, why you wrote it, and what the passion to write it was. Sure. So in February of 2020, I, I released my now five-star rated best-selling book, The Life and Times of Missouri's Charles Parsons Between Art and War. Uh, Charles Parsons, he lived from 1824 to 1905, and uh, he traveled from New York to St. Louis with some stops on the way in other cities in the Midwest. But he was a St. Louis-based banker, businessman, political activist, Union Civil War quartermaster and colonel, author, world traveler, and also an art collector. He was one of the, the men who supported and grew the first art museum west of the Mississippi that would eventually become the St. Louis Art Museum as well as the Mildred Lane Kemper Art Museum on the campus of Washington University in St. Louis. Um, have you ever seen the mummies that are at the St. Louis Art Museum? I personally have not. I, you know, I have never even been to the art museum. What? What? All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, listen, we're going we're gonna to organize a, an entire uh, group at some point this year, and, and we're going to broadcast your show live from, from the St. Louis Art Museum. How about that'd be, that? That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. I'm down for that. Well, uh, well, for, for those who have seen the mummies uh, that are on display at the St. Louis Art Museum, Charles Parsons purchased those personally in Egypt in 1894 uh, for Washington University in St. Louis, and he wanted them uh, for research and also public display. Um, and so, you know, to, to kind of talk a little more about the book, I mean, what's been neat is that since its release, it's found thousands of readers. Fontbon University has added it to their curriculum. Uh, oh, the wow. video, yeah, the videos from my Parsons Book YouTube channel are part of a permanent display at the Carnegie Historical Museum, as well as their 3D version of the museum, which is totally cool. Yeah, and also there's a second edition of the book already underway, and it should be out by the end of the year, as well as the audiobook. So, you know, if you want a first edition, Brian, I would act fast and I would seek out your local bookstores uh, or your online retailers. Um, you know, uh, so your, your earlier question about the drive to write the book. So it really, um, in the, in, like what, what what made you decide to write a book about Charles Parsons? Like where where did that come from? And, and then, you know, how there there had to be some passion there or something that made you want to just, you know, spend hours upon hours to research and write this book. Yeah, well, actually, research was 10 years, just to be quite honest. 10 and years to research yeah. and write this book. 
Yeah. So, so, all right. So the drive to write the book is a story that I tell in full in the preface of the book. But um, as a person who has studied numerous martial arts styles and the Japanese culture, as well as the incense culture of Japan since I was nine years old, in 2007, we as staffers of the Mildred Lane Kemper Art Museum were able to get our first look at the full remaining artifacts of Charles Parsons held at the museum. Uh, in the artifact collection of Charles Parsons, distinct from his painting collection, which is incredible, uh, there's a Tokugawa Japanese incense burner that had been mislabeled as a bowl since 1922 when the collection finally came into the full possession of the university after the death of Charles Parsons and his nephew, Charles Parsons Pettis, which I explained in the book. But, uh, you know, I was standing next to my boss at the time, Sabina Ekman, who's the William T. Kemper Director and Chief Curator of the Middle Lane Kemper Art Museum at Washington University. And I shared with her that the incense burner was not a bowl, like the accession card said, but it was actually an Edo period, which took place between 1603 and 1867. It was an Edo period incense burner. And, you know, she told me to write an essay and really prove it. That's exactly what she said. She said, prove it. And, uh, and so, you know, this essay on the history, culture and iconography of the burner was the jumping off point to tell the amazing life story of Charles Parsons. Uh, this essay is also the main source of Chapter 9, where I discuss the incense burner and other Japanese incense artifacts that Charles Parsons collected that were also mislabeled, you know, and so. Um, so the record of the incense burner and a number of other artifacts have been corrected in the records of the museum. And I, I'll tell you, Brian, I can't say enough of, about how appreciative I am to work with the excellent staff at the Mildred Lane Kemper Art Museum, as well as having their support on the book. I'm so grateful on, on so many levels, you know, and I would invite everybody when the pandemic is over to, to visit the, their museum and, and their wonderful full collection and special exhibitions. No, that's really neat. That's a really neat story. I, I still am kind of taken back here by it took 10 years of research. So let me ask you this. What is it right? What is it like to write a book? What does that mean? What does that process look like? Obviously, there's 10 years of research that you've invested in this. But I think a lot of people, including myself, and at times have thought, you know, my book, if I would ever write a book would be a little bit about networking. And then obviously this podcast, how fun it's been to have, you know, different people come on to talk about their stories, their life and their journey. But, you know, what is that process like and how do you even go about starting to write a book? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not joking when I share with you that I physically hurt myself writing this book. <laughs> you know, writing, I'm mean, seriously, like the amount of time I sat and stared at the screen and had to rewrite. I mean, you know, uh, there was a point where uh, quite literally I couldn't look at my book for five months after I wrote it. <laughs> I'm not joking. You know, and it, and and it and it writing a book really is every cliche you've ever heard. Like writing is rewriting. That's true. Yeah. Uh, one of the other ones I like is a professional writer is an amateur who did not quit. Um, you know, if you want to be a writer, you must read a lot and write a lot. Totally true. Uh, also, the book won't write itself. You can have right. all the greatest thoughts in the world, but until you put your butt in the seat, to be quite blunt, you know. Um, yeah. You're not going to have a book. And then it, they're real. And there really is truth to the scariest moment, you know, is just before you start. So, you know, when you talk about process and, and I and I know you love process, um, you know, I, I assembled a, a great team around me. I assembled a Ph.D. who was at Harvard and now Yale, who's a professional editor. Her name is Teresa Huntsman. Uh, she graduated from Washington University um, and then also a poet. 
and, and, and a copywriter from Purina. Uh, his name is TJ DeFrancesco. And I, by, you know, by design, I wanted one male and one female to really get a, a divergent voice. Um, and it, with every version that I submitted to them, they had full permission to beat me up as, as much as they wanted to. And very quickly, it made me a much better writer and it also created lifelong friendships. And I think the best lesson when you talk about writing a book is that, um, that you know, no one writes anything in a vacuum that sees yeah. the light of day. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes doing anything, putting yourself out there, writing a book, starting a podcast, whatever it is, can be scary, right? Your Your thought process is what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't perform the way I would like for it to perform? Perform, you know. I, I've had a lot of people here in St. Louis that either listen to this show or, uh, ha I mean, surrounding areas—Kansas City, Kentucky, Tennessee—who people have reached out to me and said, uh, "How did you start your podcast? What kind of equipment do I need? What? How do you get guests on your show? All of those questions." Um, and so, you know, there, there's, there's a time where, where you, before you start the podcast, before you start the book, whatever, that you're like, I hope this, I hope this performs, which brings me to my question of the performing of the book. Sounds like it's been pretty good. You're a bestseller. Uh, how's the reception been? So, so the reception of the book has exceeded all expectations, even in the year of COVID. You yeah. know, we 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 have public talks already planned when COVID is finally over. I'll be speaking at Fonbon University next month. Um, I can't thank Subterranean Books and Left Bank Books enough for for their support of the first two author events. They were both fully attended and from all walks of life. They were also super fun. Um, you know, if you're local, I highly recommend getting the book from your local bookstore. And if you're not local, you can always get it from online retailers. Of course, Amazon has it and you can read the reviews there. Um, I also have a few of the first edition copies remaining in my stock. If, if anybody wants it personalized, they can reach out. Um, you know, uh, Though only a select few in the art and banking world knew of Charles Parsons before the book came out, once people learn about his amazing life, legacy, and his contribution to St. Louis, Missouri, and the nation, uh, they're stunned, and I couldn't be happier. And I think that's why, I mean, I, I know that's why th there's a second printing coming at, at the end of the year. No, that's exciting stuff, and congratulations on the reception. I think that's amazing and um, pretty cool. And yeah, you know, hopefully once COVID has kind of subsided, you know, I'm going to be doing some public events for this podcast, um, which will be fun. And I, I know you will be for the book. So that's exciting stuff. So more to come on that. Real quick, where if somebody wants to find the book, uh, they can follow you or get a hold of you on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, I'm assuming, uh, as well as buy the book at their local bookstore and online. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, 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 I'm easy to find. <laughs> Good deal. Good deal. So um, let's pivot a little bit. Um, so tell me about, you know, if you look back at your career and for all the way from, you know, um, government to now Vitsu to writing a book, what have, have there been any books or podcasts or mentors or anything along your career that have kind of guided you the path that you've been on? Yeah, I mean, from from a mentor perspective, my grandfather, honestly, I said this earlier, uh, has to be my main uh, model of being uh, an expanded Renaissance man, meaning that sometimes when people say Renaissance man, they 
they think jack of all trades. And, you know, he, he said, you know, study something totally and completely because as you get deeper and deeper into something, everything eventually connects. And I have found that to be true. Um, some of the books I love, uh, I would say everybody should read the Tao Te Ching, which is the Stephen Mitchell translation, The Way of Zen by Alan Watts. Uh, Ryan Holiday, who's a huge author now, a uh, person I've interviewed and a great guy, uh, The Obstacle is the Way. Uh, if you're if you want to kind of tap into more of your creativity, I would say Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmule. If you're interested in physics, which I love theoretical physics, uh, The Tao of Physics by Fritjof Capra. Also, A, a Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. Uh, I love The Life and Times of Nikola Tesla, and I was first introduced to Nikola Tesla by the author Mark J. Cipher, and he has a book called Wizard, The Life and Times of Nikola Tesla. I also love the Joe Rogan podcast. You can say whatever you want, man. But that is a fun ride. Yeah, um, Joe, I uh, I agree with that. I mean, I I sometimes don't necessarily agree with everything he says on his podcast, but I will also say that some of the guests that he has on, the stories they share, uh, that's definitely a fun podcast. And and there's also a really great podcast called the St. Louis Leaders Podcast. And <laughs> I mean, that one right there, that is the top of my list, sir. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, John. I appreciate that. Look, I, I always end this podcast uh, the same way. And, you know, when I ask this question, the whole goal is that for the people who are listening to this show to to walk away from this episode and say, hmm, that was a good piece of advice. So if you could give our community, St. Louis, uh, you know, we're, when this episode airs, we're going to be past the inauguration of Joe Biden. Uh, we're going to be into, you know, the the vaccines are coming out from a COVID perspective. But um, whether it's about leadership, whether it's about coming together as a community or, or, or whatever you feel, what, what would be one piece of advice you would share to the audience that's listening to this episode? Well, you know, I would say empower everyone around you to be the very best that they can be. You know, if you're personally thinking about doing something that has you grow, immediately do it because life is short and the end will be here before you know it. So that is uh, amazing advice. Ironically, the same pretty much advice you gave me when I had lunch with you over a year ago uh, <laughs> and I talked to you about this podcast. Um, you know, I was mauling around for a long time and and didn't know if well, I had the time, the energy, the money, everything to, to make this happen. And I did. And uh, I will say it's been nothing but a huge, huge success, whether it's, you know, having 500 plus people listen to the show a month or um, you know, just a variety of support from the community in St. Louis. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And so I think that advice that you not only gave me a year ago, but that you just shared here today is really solid advice. And I, I would I would echo that, that if, if you're thinking about, if you're out there and you're listening to the show right now and you're thinking, I want to make a difference in our community and you have an idea of how to do that, I would say just do it. Just pull a team together like John did on his book, like I did on this podcast. Pull that team together, that that friend, that mentor, whatever it is, and do it. Make that change because nothing nothing should stand in your way when you have a passion or desire to, to impact the community that you live in. So, you know, that's a great piece of advice, John. I really appreciate you coming on here today to share not only your background, but your wisdom, the book. Um, real quick, just out of curiosity, is is there any relation to Charles Parsons to our governor, uh, Governor Parsons? No, no, there's an S that's missing. Uh, an S, okay. All right. Uh, when you talk about uh, the community, can I talk really briefly about about how I support the community? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I just I just I just wanted to you know when you're talking about community, you know, St. Louis means everything to me now. Before I was a government contractor, I couldn't wait to leave St. Louis, to be quite <laughs> honest. 
you know, but after living and staying for an extended period of time in almost every major city in the country with with stops in many of our U.S. possessions, I love St. Louis and I'm excited for for, for what is being created here. Um, you know, uh, I, I invite people to, to maybe get involved in some of the organizations I'm involved in. For example, you know, I volunteer my time with with, with numerous nonprofits. Uh, I'm the host and MC for the yearly Kids in the Middle Gala and other events. Kids in the Middle is a stellar organization that empowers children. Children, parents and families during and after divorce through counseling, education and support. I can't say enough about CEO Katie Pinter Walters. Uh, her, her team is just fantastic. Uh, I'm also joining the board of the Safety Council of Greater St. Louis this year. Executive Director Mary Beth Proust is incredible along with her team. And I'm also a Hillman Scholar mentor. And I work with numerous businesses, uh, business coaching groups, as well as historical organizations. And Brian, again, I think what you're doing is fantastic. And I would love anyone who here this to, to reach out because you know there's a there's an expression that I have with with and, and I share this with my clients and the people I work with if you're up to big things in life you're pushing boulders up hills looking for friends so consider me a friend well no I think John I think that's again a great piece of advice to to get involved in our community as well um, if you want change in our community, the only way you can make change is, is to get involved. And I'm not saying running for political office. That's please don't take that advice unless you <laughs> unless that's something that you want to do. But uh, I, but, you know, Kids in the Middle, I'm very familiar with Kids in the Middle. Great organization. Um, but there's a lot of nonprofits around St. Louis. There's a lot of organizations, clubs, uh, things along those lines that we can get involved in as as community leaders um, and in support really the growth of St. Louis. And, and to your point, John, I. I love St. Louis. Uh, I obviously it's a, a big reason I started this podcast was to really give a voice to the leaders of our community that m some people just don't get to listen to or hear every day, right? And and there's a lot of great leaders in our community here in St. Louis that that you know aren't on TV every day um, that are making a not only an economic impact into this community but a philosophical one as well. And so you know from me to you you are what defines a, a great STL leader i appreciate you taking your time to come on this show today um and i really really thank you for for that brian thank you and again great work and uh i look forward to to, to more of your guests thank you for listening to this week's episode of the STL leaders podcast this episode was brought to you by NWO IT services stay tuned for next week's episode of the STL leaders podcast